to episode four of Courtside Philosophy. I am your host, Lonnie Smith. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Uh, we're going to talk about the NBA in-season tournament. Uh, I'm kind of interested to see how this goes. So I wanted to clarify what it is, how it's going to work, uh, how they're fitting it in this season. It is something that Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, has wanted to bring into the NBA for a little bit of time now. He's checked out the EPL, the English Premier League, and seen how having some in-season tournaments has been beneficial to their to their league. So he wanted to bring something like that to the NBA. And in the new CBA, this was incorporated. So I'm going to talk about that. And then at the end, I'm actually going to switch gears and go into the NFL and I'm going to talk about a new metric that I've come up for evaluating quarterbacks. Uh, I dropped my list based on the new metric on Twitter, at CourtsidePhD, uh, if you want to check that out. And I'll talk about it here at the end of the pod. Um, mainly a discussion surrounding Brock Purdy, kind of for why I even went down that avenue of looking into uh, creating a new metric. But as promised... Let's jump into the first part of the pod, the in-season tournament. So it is going to be, I think, something that the fans will ultimately appreciate. I'm not as skeptical as some others. I actually think there's no harm in, in giving this a try, right, to see what it ends up being like. And who knows, it could turn into something. So I'm, I'm willing to give it a chance, right? So, what is it? So, the in-season tournament was, uh, again, Adam Silver's idea. ESPN broadcast kind of the initial selection of teams, and I'll, I'll get into that in a second. But it's a tournament that will not add any more games to the schedule. Uh, and so, teams will just play their regular season games, but certain ones will also count towards this tournament. Uh, so that will be in the month of November. Uh, if you're watching an NBA game on a Tuesday or Friday in the month of November, that game is not only a regular season game, but also a game that counts toward this in-season tournament. And so here's how they structured it. So it started by putting together teams in groups. So there's going to be three groups in each conference. And so each group will therefore have five teams in it, since there's 15 teams in each conference. The teams were placed in each group based on a random drawing that was defined by last year's standings. So here's how they did it. They created five pots. Uh, in pot one, they put the teams that finished first, second, and third in their conference in pot two, they put the teams that finished fourth, fifth, and sixth in, the, in their conference. Pot three, the teams that finished seventh, eighth, and ninth in their conference. Pot four, the teams that finished 10th, 11th, and 12th in their conference. And pot number five, the teams that finished at the bottom in 13th, 14th, and 15th place in their conference. As I said, the game's going to be played on Tuesdays and Fridays exclusively. Uh, except for one day, that would be Tuesday, November 7th. That is Election Day, so there won't be any games on that day. So 
each group consists of the five teams. So if you're a team in a certain group, you're going to play each of the other four teams once. Two of those games will be on your home court. And for the other two, you'll have to go on the road and play the play those games. Um, you'll play four games, right, in total. And then they'll decide a winner of each group based on who had the best record. And so the winner from each group would advance out of what's the group play stage initially into the single elimination knockout rounds, which will start in early December. Um, so since there's three groups, each winner of each group will advance to the knockout stage. So that's just three teams. They are adding a fourth team as a wildcard team within each conference. And that team is going to be the best second place team, right? So within each of the groups, they'll look at all of the second place teams and then use tiebreakers to decide which one will be the wildcard team to advance to the knockout stage, assuming they all had the same record, right? If one of them had a better record than the others, and that's the team that would go into the knockout stage. So the tiebreakers are as follows. Uh, if there is a game within the group play that involved the head-to-head, -head, they'll use just that result, that head-to-head -head result, to uh, decide the winner, right? In the case of deciding the wild card that comes out of the, each conference, the teams obviously don't play head-to-head because -head they're in different groups, right? So they'll use point differential as the next tiebreaker. Uh, if that happens to be the same, uh, then they'll go into total points scored. And then if that is still the same, they would go to who had the better regular season record last season. And if that is still the same, then they would just do a random drawing to decide which team moves on into the knockout stage. So the knockout stage will be the quarterfinal round. It will start on December 4th or actually be played on December 4th and 5th. The team from each conference um, that had the best group play record, right? So you'll look at all the teams that won their group and the team that had the best record will be labeled the one seed for their conference. Uh, again, if there's a tie, they'll use those tiebreakers to break that. And then they'll you know seed those winners of each groups, one, two, and three. The wildcard team will automatically be team number four or seed four. And then one will play four, right? So the team at one will play the team at four. That game will be played on the number one seeds court, home court. And then number two will play number three. And number two uh, will get to host that game on their home court. Uh, so that's, again, the same for both conferences. Right, and then once we move beyond that, right, so we've played those quarterfinal games, right? Eight teams made it out four from each conference. So you'll play those uh, four games, right? Then the semifinals is decided. Those four teams will actually then head to Las Vegas uh, to play the semifinals on a neutral court. And those games will be played on December 7th. And then the winners of those semifinal matchups will then play the finals also in Las Vegas, also on a neutral court. That game will be on December 9th. So 
it's interesting. Um, it's a pretty cool setup. So we actually will then have to go through what happens to the other teams, right? That don't make it as far on the journey. Quickly, let me just also detail that last game, the championship game on December 9th. It is would be a third, 83rd game for each of those teams. So with regard to uh, regular season record and statistics, those stats from the championship game would not count. Um, so it does not affect your record uh, that they'll be using later on, obviously in the season to determine the playoff seating and all of that. Um, and it does not add, or you can't add any stats from that game. Those will not be included in the season long stats. So if you happen to drop a 50 piece in that game, well, I'm sorry, you can't, can't add that one to your official NBA stats. Um, but I'm sure there'll be some place where you can at least go see what happened in that game right after the fact. They'll drop a box score somewhere. Okay, so that's the process, right? They made the groups, right? Three groups of five. The winners of each group move on. A wild card team is decided by a tie break, right? One plays four, two plays three, and we move from quarterfinals play, single elimination, to semifinals play to the finals. And so then the flip side, what happens to the teams that don't make it right past the group stage, right? There's gonna be four teams that come out. And since there's 15 in each conference, that means 11 teams from each conference are not going to advance. So 22 teams total will not qualify for that knockout stage. So those teams will then play two regular season games those games will be on December 6th and December 8th, right? So the two days um, not overlapping with the games for the semifinal, um, or yeah, for the for the semifinals and the finals, right? The semifinals games will be on December 7th. The finals game will be on December 9th. So on December 6th and 8th, all of those other 22 teams that didn't make it to uh, the knockout stage will play each other in uh, two games. There will have to be a cross-conference game since there's an odd number from each conference, right? 11 teams from each conference. So the NBA will decide on that and who ends up in that cross-conference matchup. But otherwise, it would be the rest of them. The other 10, other 10 teams will end up in a, a cross or a same conference matchup on those two days. And then you go to the next round, right? So in the group stage, 11 teams don't make it out from each conference. Then you go to the knockout stage, uh, first round or the quarterfinals. So there will be eight teams that play, but only four will move on to that semifinals in Las Vegas. So the other four teams that do end up losing in the quarterfinals, they will also then play a regular season game on December 8th. And their opponent will be the other team that lost from their conference, right? So if we go back, right? Let's just take the Eastern Conference, for example, right? The one seed in the Eastern Conference was playing the four seed and the two seed was playing the three seed. Let's say the one seed, it moved on and the three seed moved on. So then the two seed and the four seed were the losers of the quarterfinal matchup. They will then play each other on December 8th in a regular season game. 
Um, I think the team that's the higher seed will get to host that, um, or the better seed, I should say, will we'll host that game. So that's what happens to them. So you still end up with 82 regular season games. It does not change the total, right? It's the same number that it's always been. The only caveat is the two teams that make the finals would play an 83rd game. Um, and again, the stats for that would not be incorporated officially into their stats for the season. Uh, and the result is not added to your, to your record. So every team will still end up with an 82 game total at the end of the season. You are incentivized by some prize money. Uh, I don't know if they have the official numbers out. They might, uh, but it will increase the amount of money that you earn as a player. The further you go, you do not get any for just the group play stage, right? So the only way to earn some money, some extra money is, is to have your team advance to at least the knockout stage, right? At least to the quarterfinals. So those that make it to the quarterfinals will earn a certain amount of money. And then if you make the semifinals, you earn a little bit more money. And then the finals, even more money. Um, so there's a little bit of an incentive there for the players. We'll see how much that means to some of the top guys, right? Because they're already making a lot of money for what they do. But it might be nice for them to do it for the younger guys on the roster who don't obviously make quite as much. And so more, you know, along that, uh, the money in that range of like, you know, $50,000 or whatever it ends up being is more significant to those, to those guys that are, are obviously not like the superstars of the team and are helping fill it, fill out the roster. So, you know, something that they could, they could definitely do for their teammates there. Um, and they will, the NBA will actually come out with an MVP and an all tournament team. So they, are the ones who will decide that it doesn't seem to be that it will be voted on by any of the media or the players it's just going to be the nba i guess looking at only the results and stats and things from these tournament games so group play plus knockout stage to decide who was the mvp of the first in-season tournament and which players make the all tournament team. I believe it's just going to be one team. So the top five players uh, during this tournament. Okay. So they, they uh, have drawn the groups for this. Uh, the ESPN had a whole showcase. They brought in a lot of uh, top tier NBA guys to be a part of it. Trey Young, I remember was on stage. Victor Wembanyama was on stage and as mentioned, right, they put the teams in five different pots. Uh, again, pot one, teams that finished first, second, or third in their standings last year in their conference. Uh, pot two, teams that finished fourth through six. Pot three, teams that finished seven through nine in the standings. Uh, pot four, teams finished teams that finished tenth through twelfth. And the last pot, pot five, for the teams at the bottom in thirteenth through fifteenth place. Uh, so let's let's like let's take a look, right? Let's take a look at this. Uh, we'll go through the East first. Uh, so the East Group A, uh, the first team pulled was the Philadelphia 76ers, who finished third in the East last year. So they start the group. The Cleveland Cavaliers, who were fourth last year in the East, are also in the group. The Atlanta Hawks uh, were 
drawn as well. So they, they were seventh in the in the East last year. So they're in the group. The Indiana Pacers, who were 11th, they're in the group. Uh, and finally, the Detroit Pistons, who finished last in the East last year, round out the first group. So that is the East Group A. It's going to be hard to really predict this thing. Uh, these are regular season games. We don't have an idea of what kind of emphasis certain teams might put on these games. Is it going to mean a little bit more to certain teams? Maybe some of these younger teams that are just trying to you know, change the culture, establish some winning habits. They feel like they can you know, make a, a nice little adjustment to their culture by going out and winning something, right? Um, maybe they put a little more emphasis on these games than teams that are you know, vying for a championship or, or consider themselves to be a contender for you know, the actual finals, right? That happens in June. Maybe they just keep this as, oh, okay, this is just another regular season game. We're good, uh, but maybe not. Maybe they also decide, you know, this is kind of interesting. You know, it would be nice to kind of build up to something early, right? See if we can, you know, establish a, a rhythm early in the season, go win this thing, put the league on notice that, yes, we're, we're for real. And when it comes to, you know, playing in this kind of knockout style, um, you know, we're a team to be reckoned with and, you know, just kind of send a little bit of a message throughout the league. We'll see. Uh, I kind of doubt the latter. I do believe in the former, though. I do think you might get some high variance here, right? Because there's only four games. Uh, it's not like an 82-game season where the cream rises to the uh, the cream of the crop rises. Um, this is four games. So any NBA team that just happens to get hot can have a good four-game stretch. So you very well may see teams that I'm listing out here that are near the bottom of their standings from last year that will actually win the group and move on to the next round because maybe they take it more seriously because they're trying to change some habits. And, you know, they just kind of, you know, give it a little bit more, uh, you know, effort than some of the teams at the top who are just treating it more like a regular season game. Right. But that's Group A. So Group A for the East, the Sixers, the Cavs, the Hawks, the Pacers, and the Pistons. Again, I don't really know what's going to happen there. Uh, it's just some interesting teams. Obviously, the Sixers without Harden, will he be back? right in this next month to participate in this um it's looking doubtful at the moment the Cavs, who i think are a really good team but they're missing uh jared allen right now will he be back um to be determined the atlanta hawks they've got quinn snyder right new head coach who got a full off season to kind of you know integrate what he really wants to do with this team offensively and defensively what are they going to look like? The Pacers, who I think are going to be a really fun team to watch this year. They're just going to go up and down the floor. Tyrese Halliburton, one of my favorite players to watch. Uh, so they'll be exciting. And then the Pistons are super young and super old at the same time. Uh, so uh, kind of a weird mix of players. But Monty Williams could use it as an opportunity to challenge them to go win something. Right? And so maybe they make a push. Who knows? Okay. Group B in the East, the number one seed from last year, the Milwaukee Bucks uh, lead off the group. The New York Knicks, who were the fifth team in the standings last year, are in the group, along with the Miami Heat, 
who are eighth. Uh, the Wizards, who finished 12th last year, are in the group. And the Charlotte Hornets, who were 14th last year, are also in the group. So again, on paper, you look at this and say, okay, Milwaukee's clearly the favorite. Obviously, you just add Damian Lillard to Giannis, right? They've got to win this group, but who knows, right? Um, if, you know, Jordan Poole for the Wizards just happens to have hot shooting nights on every one of these nights, they could win something. Uh, you know, Miami's scrappy, right? We saw them beat the Bucks in the playoffs last year in five, right? So is there some of that that comes into play here, right? Since you have a little animosity there from, uh, at least on the Bucks part for how things ended last season. And then the Knicks, right? They're a very scrappy bunch. They just play kind of a little bit old school ball, right? They just kind of try to beat you up a little bit in the paint, get offensive rebounds, putbacks, second chance opportunities. That's just their style. So does that work well for them here? We'll see. Um, and how, how seriously do they want to take it? They also played Miami last year, second round. So maybe in that matchup, we get a little bit of something going on. So, uh, and I didn't mention the Hornets, but you know, LaMelo, uh, he's obviously box office with his game. He's very flashy, right? If he gets hot and maybe the young fellow, Brandon Miller contributes and they get some, you know, you know, decent games out of these guys, maybe they can make a little surprise push and, and do something or upset one of these other teams in a game. Uh, I don't know, but it'll be fun to watch. Okay, finally, East Group C. Uh, so the Boston Celtics, who were second last year in the standings, they lead off the group with then the Brooklyn Nets, who uh, were sixth, the Toronto Raptors, who were ninth, the Chicago Bulls, who finished 10th in the standings last year, and then the Orlando Magic, who were 13th in the standings last year. So this is a really interesting group. Obviously, Boston jumps out immediately as the favorite, right? They've added Drew Holiday. They've added Kristaps Porzingis. They're leaning into offense this year. So they could very well just kind of push this group aside and in every one of these games, you know, rain down some threes and then just, you know, walk out of here 4-0 really easily. That's absolutely on the board. Um, the Nets, right, Mikhail, he's looking to take that leap this year uh, and be in that conversation for most improved player. Right, he and Cam Johnson and Ben Simmons, what can they do, right? Can they maybe pull an upset here? The Raptors, uh, they are a hard team to kind of figure out and this year. Um, I talked about that when I did my predictions for the season. So if you haven't checked that out, go check out episodes one and two to get my thoughts on on all the teams and what I think what, what I thought would happen this year in terms of where the, uh, the teams would finish in the standings. The Bulls, obviously uh, not off to a very good start. Uh, players only meeting after game one of the season, which was a loss to the Oklahoma City Thunder. That's not good. And then just the other night, you have 51 from Zach Levine. Now he had zero assists. Uh, which is funny because the last time a person dropped 50 with zero assists was Clay Thompson when he played against the Bulls and had that 52-point game uh, with like 16 dribbles for the entire game, which is insane. But he dropped 52 with zero assists last night or just the other night. Zach Levine, 51 points, no assists. He had half, half, exactly half of the Bulls' points. They put up 102. 
Zach Levine had 51 of those, and they still lost to the Detroit Pistons by 16. That is, that is that's, that's not good. That's uh, not, not, not good at all. So the Bulls definitely got some things they need to figure out. Um, so who knows? Maybe they just pop on one of these nights and get it together. And then Orlando is a sneaky little team to watch here, right? Franz Wagner is definitely a dude. I think he's a really good player, a young player. He's gonna be he's gonna be good in this league. And then Paolo, obviously Paolo Boncaro, rookie of the year last year. So Orlando might be a little feisty. They could be in that category of a team that takes this a little more seriously because they want to win something, right? Markel Fultz is actually looking pretty good too. So keep an eye on on the Orlando Magic in that group. That could be interesting. Um. All right, let's switch to the other conference, the Western Conference, Group A, the Memphis Grizzlies, who were second in the West last year. They start off the group. The Phoenix Suns, who were fourth, are in the group. The Los Angeles Lakers, who were seventh, are in the group. The Utah Jazz, who were 12th, are in the group. And the Portland Trailblazers, who were 13th, are in this group. Obviously, when the group came out, we were looking at those top three teams like, oof, those are some heavy hitters. Unfortunately for Memphis, they've already been hit with some serious injuries. Steven Adams is out. Uh, if you haven't heard, for the entire season, he was trying to do some rehab to his knee to increase the stability there, but he was trying to do it in a non-surgical manner, a non-operative manner, and it did not work, unfortunately. So he is having surgery or may have already had it at this point. But it does put him out for the season. So that's a big loss for them. He's a great screener, right? Great guy to have on offense to open up other guys as they're coming off those screens. And then just a guy who's a professional that knows where he needs to be, plays solid defense. Um, yeah, that's a big, big loss for them. And of course, Ja Morant being suspended until December 19th. So he will not be able to participate into, in any of these games. Even if they made it to the finals, they would have to play without Ja Morant. So... They're already down a few guys, and they're not off to a great start. Unfortunately for them, they're 0-3, uh, so they've got to try to turn this thing around as quickly as possible. Phoenix Suns, obviously, with all their talent, you could easily make a case that they go 4-0 in this group and just you know move on. Uh, but injury concerns, which are already apparent, Bradley Beal has yet to play his first game as a Phoenix Sun uh, as of this recording. Right, he missed the first two, I believe, with lower back tightness or stiffness. And then Devin Booker played game one of the season and looked good, looked real good. Uh, but I guess he's dealing with a toe injury, so he sat out game two. Uh, so we'll see if he's able to you know, play most of these games. So right now, Kevin Durant has been the healthiest of their big three, uh, and he's looked good. He's off to a good start this season. You got the Lakers, right, LeBron, AD. They're on the court together. They're a tough duo. Um, they got to figure out, you know, the rest of the rotation with these new guys. But, you know, they're going to be a, a team to be, try to beat. We'll see how seriously they take this, right? Um, the Jazz, uh, again, they, they fall in that category of a team that could maybe try to, you know, show that they, they're building in the right direction. Uh, so an opportunity for Laurie Markkinen, John Collins, right, those kind of guys to maybe, you know, make a little bit of a statement if they can, you know, get out of this group, right, with the Suns and Lakers in it. And then the Trailblazers, who 
I already thought we we're going to be bad. And then Anthony Simons, unfortunately, goes down with an injury to his thumb. His UCL uh, needs to be surgically repaired. So he is out for four to six weeks. So he will miss this entire thing. So they won't have him. So we'll see. We'll see. Anything's possible. But I don't think the Trailblazers will, will be making out of this group. Uh, but maybe Scoot does something special or they get something out of uh, Shaden Sharp or, or somebody on the team, but uh, it seems unlikely at this point. Okay, Group B, uh, the Denver Nuggets, the defending uh, champions start the group. The LA Clippers, who were fifth last season in the standings, they are in this group. The New Orleans Pelicans, who were ninth, are in the group. The Dallas Mavericks, who were 11th, are in the group. And my Houston Rockets, uh, are in this group. We were 14th last year. Forgot to mention, as you can see on the screen, there's a, a rocket symbol. Putting my bias right out there for anyone who's new. Uh, I am a Rockets fan, uh, so just make sure we understand that. Uh, so I'll be I'll be talking about them throughout the season, uh, and I'll talk about them here. Uh, but let me start with the Nuggets. Obviously, they've got the best starting five, um, not just in this group, probably in the NBA. Uh, so if they take it seriously, they could absolutely walk through this whole group. Uh, but it could get a little interesting, right? The Clippers, at least for now, for now, are healthy. Kawhi and PG are playing. Uh, when when they're on the court together, they're a really good tandem. They don't have Terrence Mann at the moment, but they hopefully will get him back soon. Um, you got Westbrook, right? So they definitely have a, a chance to do something. Maybe they use it as a, as an, a, a way to make a statement and say, hey, just put the NBA on notice. When we are healthy, this is what we can do. We can beat the champs, right? That might be an interesting statement for them to make. Um, so definitely looking forward to that matchup. The Pelicans, they are, again, another team just like the Clippers. They're healthy right now, right? Zion's on the court. B.I.'s on the court. C.J. McCollum's on the court. Um, just watched their game the other night against the Knicks. Obviously not a super offensive game, but... Um, just when those three are on the court together, it's a, they're a really good team, right? They're missing Trey Murphy, so hopefully they can get him back soon. He had a partially torn meniscus in a summer workout, and so he had to get that surgically repaired, so he's rehabbing from that. Uh, but if they can keep those three on the court and then add Trey Murphy, ooh, <laughs> this team could make some noise, especially later in the season and, and maybe in the postseason. Um, but for right now, they're still a team that is interesting, right? With Zion on the court. Dallas, uh, I mean, Luka Magic, man. Oh, we saw it just the other night against the Nets. I mean, pinned in the corner, like falling out of bounds, one hand, three-pointer off glass that just is ridiculous. And then he, I think, talked about how he called Bang. No, you didn't. Stop that. You ain't called Bang on that, Luka. Stop it. But he dropped 49 in that game. Insane stuff. Uh, I think he'd have to do something like that almost every night uh, for these games uh, to get the Mavs out of here. Uh, but they got a chance. And then, of course, my Rockets. I kind of was putting them in that category of a team that might – well, I think they will definitely take this more seriously than um, some of the other teams just because we're trying to you know, bring in some new habits, establish a new culture – with obviously our new head coach, Ime Udoka. So, you know, maybe a challenge to the players to, you know, hey, go after it. Listen, we, listen, we got 
the champs in our group. We got a Clippers team that went healthy is really good. We've got a Pelicans team that has Zion on the court when he's healthy. They're really good. And a team that's got Luka Doncic on the court, uh, that, and he's really special. And he can carry a team. If we could win some of these games and actually get out of the group, that would be a huge statement to the league. Like, hey, yes, we, we've got the young talent. They're doing their thing. And we're coming, right? We're building something here in Houston. So I hope that's the message to the team to get them amped up for these games a little bit more and see what we can do. Uh, but we're obviously not off to a very good start. Uh, disappointing loss, right? Uh, Should have beaten the Spurs. Uh, Jabari missed those two free throws late and then unfortunately missed the three at the, not, not quite at the buzzer, but that would have won it. And then he took it pretty hard. He was very disappointed after the game. So hopefully he can learn from that, grow from that. And hopefully we can start to all realize that the offense just needs to run through Alperen Shangun. That dude is awesome. And he's a great leader off the court too. Loves his comments after the game. Uh, so hopefully we'll see something uh, over the next few games from the Rockets, at least for my sake. Right. And then finally, the last group in the West, Group C, the Sacramento Kings. Uh, who were third last year. Golden State Warriors, who were sixth, are in the group. The Minnesota Timberwolves, who were eighth, uh, are in this group. Oklahoma City Thunder, who were 10th, are in the group. And then the San Antonio Spurs, who finished last in the West last year, are in the group. This might be my favorite group to watch during this little tournament play. You got the Kings, who obviously surprised some people last year by finishing third in the West with 48 wins. They pushed the Golden State Warriors to seven games in that first-round series. Um, so what can they do as an encore this season, right? Is De'Aaron Fox, a bonus combo, going to be even better this year? Um, can Malik Monk replicate what he did as a, kind of a sixth man for them last year? Uh, can they get better defensively, right? They were obviously historic on offense, but... Defensively, they were really poor. They were honestly amongst like the teams that finished in the bottom five in the league if you looked at their defensive rating. So they got to improve in that department. Um, so what can they do? The Warriors, do they take this seriously? They got their starting five back that they typically roll with. There is no Jordan Poole. He's on the Wizards now, so maybe their team chemistry kind of gets back to what it used to be. Chris Paul obviously comes in. Can he elevate that second unit with Kaminga and Moody, right? You know, so, and then obviously there's the history there. They just played each other the other night. It was another great game, Steph doing Steph things. Um, so that they're an interesting team to watch. The T-Wolves, they have obviously a lot of money invested in their roster, right? They paid Ant Edwards, they extended him. They just extended Jaden McDaniels. Uh, as well, they gave Nas Reed a contract. You already have Cat on his deal. You already have Gobert on his deal. So you got Mike Conley, who's got his deal. They got a lot of money invested in this roster, and they do have the talent, right? So maybe Ant continues his kind of coming out party that he started in the FIBA World Cup, where he was the guy, right? If he can bring that guy into this environment, there's a chance to make a statement, right? The Warriors obviously are a champion from a few years ago. The Kings were the it team last year. Uh, maybe you can come in and, and knock them off. OKC, you know, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, SGA is, he's that dude. He's special. He's a really good player. 
Chat is doing his thing. He had seven blocks just the other night. Um, so are they going to be one of those teams that looks to make a little bit of a statement as well, right? They were 10th last year in the West. They made the play-in. I believe they took out the Pelicans in the first round of the play-in and then lost to the Grizz or to the Timberwolves in that uh, last play-in matchup. Uh, do they go after this a little bit and try to see what the young fellas can do uh, in this kind of a setting, a one-off, and see if they can't make a little run to the finals? And then, of course, the Spurs with Victor Wembanyama. He's he's different, man. I, I don't know what else to tell you. This guy. It's just so long, so long. He's doing things we've never seen before in terms of like the amount of court that he can cover. All right, he can just, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's so interesting to watch. You definitely have to watch him when he's out there playing. So just pop, you know, use this as an opportunity to maybe challenge his young team to, you know, make a, a little bit of a, of some noise, right? Taking on a really good, obviously historically great Warriors team, right? The T-Wolves team that's got a lot of talent, right? The Kings, who were the it team last year, and they're looking to, you know, bring that, run it back. OKC, who's got some young talent as well. We get the Chet versus Wimby matchup in this one. Super excited for that. So there's a lot to look forward to. I'm excited. So hopefully. That uh, kind of clears things up and helps explain, you know, what's going to happen over the next month uh, or just month and a couple weeks with, you know, the group play and then uh, going into the knockout stage and ultimately yeah, having a winner decided. So we'll see. We'll see what it looks like. Uh, I'm sure they'll do something on the broadcast to, you know, make sure that it's known as you're watching it that this game counts towards the in-season tournament or the announcers will obviously be aware of it um but yeah okay that is that so hopefully that makes sense and we're actually gonna or i'm actually gonna switch gears here to a different sport so i'm also a huge uh nfl fan I, i've got my team the new orleans saints uh for for the nfl uh born into that fandom and Sticking with it, uh, obviously it hasn't been a great season for us so far, looking to turn that around, but uh, I've been talking with Pradeep, uh, who was in the last video in episode three, if you haven't seen it. Um, he and I have gone back and forth on Brock Purdy, all right, because there's been this whole discussion about how good is he, right? Like, is he really, like, is he really good? Is he this good? Is he, like, top five good? Right, like uh, I've heard some things on like certain networks of people comparing him to like Joe Montana, and I'm I'm like, okay, can we slow down? <laughs> like he's he hasn't played that many games at this point in his career, so can we just pump the brakes on those kind of comparisons, please? And so my instinct told me that or that he was probably around 12 to 14 in terms of if I had to rank pick quarterbacks rank them uh you know one through 32 I was thinking he's got to be in that somewhere in that 12 to 14 range that was kind of my thought and Pradeep was saying for this season for this season he's a top five quarterback in the NFL and I was like Ooh, that sounds a little strong uh so I wanted to you know go out and come up with a way to evaluate the quarterbacks and I know there's different metrics out there already um, 
but I read up on those. Uh, I ended up stumbling across an article that uh, did a statistical analysis between each of the metrics and a team's margin of victory. Um, since wins and losses are able to be swayed by you know two or three plays in a game, to really kind of evaluate how good a team is, you would actually want to look at their margin of victory uh, as a better measure. And so then if you can correlate uh, some you know, quarterback performance statistic to that, it should be pretty good. So the one that seemed to do the best was QBR, uh, which is from ESPN. It's, they have a proprietary algorithm that calculates this. They have not released exactly how they calculate it. Uh, but I did want to just go through it quickly because then I built my own metric, uh, call, calling it the Lonnie metric, or just LM for short. Uh, and it encompasses QBR. Uh, but I just want to go through what QBR already does and then what I ended up incorporating uh, to my metric. Uh, so QBR, it's, it's different from passer rating, right? The NFL standard has been passer rating for a while, but it's a little bit archaic and only takes into account like, you know, completion percentage, yards per attempt, TDs per attempt, and INTs per attempt. And it's a simple formula that they put together. But that's it, right? It, it's, you know, just and just strictly passing, right? Obviously, now we've gotten to a point where quarterbacks uh, run the ball as well, not only on scrambles, but on designed runs. Uh, so that's not incorporated in passer rating. It's just strictly any pass that you throw, right? Like completion yardage or completion percentage yardage per attempt, those kind of things. So QBR is more cumulative measure. They I guess call it a more holistic approach. Uh, to evaluating a quarterback. So it does account for some other things that passer rating doesn't, right? Like throwing distance, sacks taken, fumbles, uh, penalties, right, that are on the quarterback. Uh, so those things are incorporated. It also uses EPA, expected points added, to adjust for situational context, right? So if you're, you know, watching a game and a quarterback completes, you know, a pass for 10 yards from their own 20-yard line, right? They started on the 20-yard line through a 10-yard completion. That's different than if you're, you know, on your opponent's, you know, 30-yard line and then also complete a 10-yard pass, right? There's there's some context that has to be accounted for there. So this metric does that, right? Some other things like if a QB is pressured, like avoids a sack and then makes a 10-yard completion, Right, they get a little bit more credit for that completion than say, you know, having a clean pocket and then making a 10 yard completion, right? Because to avoid the sack takes a little bit more effort, right? And then still make the throw, usually from out of the pocket, um, that you should get awarded for that. Depth of target is also taken into account. So if you're a quarterback and you throw it 40 yards down the field to your receiver and it's caught, Right, that's different than throwing like a, you know, little screen pass, like two-yard screen pass, and then the receiver does the rest by picking up 38 yards after the catch. Right, so it, right, takes that into account as well as discounting some garbage time stats. Right, if the game is out of hand, right, the yards that you pick up uh, at that point, if your team's down by 14, but there's only, you know, a minute on the clock, it's like, all right, well, game's over. Uh, so all of these yards don't really mean as much. They don't help you really contribute to winning because you can't win the game. Um, 
So the example that they use uh, for QBR to kind of give you a sense of how it can be effective is they go back to 2015. There was a wild card game in the NFC featuring the Green Bay Packers and uh, Washington, right? The now Washington Commanders. Uh, the quarterbacks for the teams were Aaron Rodgers and Kirk Cousins. Uh, in that game, Aaron Rodgers was uh, 21 for 36 uh, on passing attempts. He threw for 210 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Kirk Cousins was 29 of 46 for 329 yards passing, one touchdown, no interceptions. So if you look just strictly at their passer ratings, they would be comparable. Uh, Aaron Rodgers' passer rating for that game was 93 and a half, and Kirk Cousins was 91.7. So if you looked at that, you would have come away from that game thinking, okay, these two quarterbacks are comparable, right? Uh, but with QBR, you incorporate some other things, right? So in that game, uh, Kirk Cousins actually took six sacks. Uh, he had three fumbles. One of them was lost. And he had two pre-snap penalties uh, with the Washington offense uh, that set them back. Right, so those get incorporated into QBR. On the flip side, Aaron Rodgers only took one sack for that entire game, didn't fumble the ball, and in fact drew defensive penalties that helped uh, his team move in the right direction down the field. So when you look at QBR, uh, Aaron Rodgers' QBR for that game was 82.4 versus Kirk Cousins, which was 58.9. So it gives you a little bit of a better understanding uh, of the impact that the quarterback has. Um, so what I've done is looked at that and that's more of an efficiency metric, QBR, right? Like how efficiently you're playing the quarterback position. I think there's a volume aspect that has to be accounted for, right? So if you have two quarterbacks that are equally efficient, but one of them has more of the offense to shoulder, right? So they're doing more, whether that's, you know, throwing the ball more or incorporating some designed runs, right? Or scrambles, like they're doing more every game in terms of how much of the offensive load they carry. I think they should get the benefit for that, right? So if two quarterbacks have the same QBR, but one, you know, shoulders like 60% of the offense, right? The other only shoulders, you know, 48% of the offense. And I think the guy who has 60% of the offense while maintaining a high QBR should get the nod. Uh, as the better QB, right? So I went about incorporating that and creating the Lonnie metric, LM, and I used uh, previous history uh, to kind of calibrate this thing. So what I did was I looked at the MVP uh, standings and results over the past, what, five years, uh, back to the 2018-2019 season as a means of calibrating this. Um, so ideally, getting the person that was voted the MVP to be number one in the metric. Uh, obviously, MVP is voted on by humans, so it's not you know just picked by you know computer rankings or metrics and whatnot. So it doesn't you know line up exactly with it, but I think it does a pretty good job. And so I went back and I took a look. So I started with the 2018-2019 season. And I looked at who ended up winning the MVP. That was Patrick Mahomes. Uh, he was first. Uh, Drew Brees got a few votes, uh, but he was a distant second place. He only got 18% of the share. Mahomes got 82% uh, 
And so according to my new metric, I would have had Mahomes as the best quarterback in the league that year, um, ahead of Drew Brees in second place. Uh, Big Ben Roethlisberger for the Steelers actually would have been in third, Andrew Luck fourth that season. Um, but so far, off to a good start, right? Mahomes was the guy that I would have picked to win MVP that season. Uh, the next season, 2019-2020, right? That was the year Lamar won it unanimously, uh, right? So if you go and take a look at that, uh, so I'm using pro football reference just to look at the awards voting. Lamar got every single vote, all 50, uh, and won it going away. Uh, and the metric spits out he was the top quarterback that year. His QBR was 83, which is insane. And he did shoulder almost 60% of the offense. Uh, he was just ahead of Patrick Mahomes, who had a QBR 77 or 78. Um, and he also shouldered 60% of his of team's offense that year. So, yeah, I got, I got the one-two. Drew Brees, interestingly, was third that season. Um, and then... Actually, Ryan Fitzpatrick, even though the Dolphins weren't very good record-wise, like the quarterback play was actually not their issue that season. He actually finished fourth in the metric. Dak had a very good year that year. He was fifth. Uh, Stafford was at the Lions at the time. Uh, he only ended up playing eight games that season, but he was uh, sixth, and some other guys pop up in the top ten. So, so far, I think he's doing a good job. Our first discrepancy in terms of with the MVP happens in uh, 2020, 2021 season. Um, so that was Aaron Rodgers who ended up winning that one. Um, but my metric disagrees. So if you look at the voting, Aaron Rodgers took 44 out of the 100 votes, or out of the 50 votes that season. Josh Allen uh, got four, Patrick Mahomes only got two. And uh, so Aaron Rodgers ended up winning it. He had a ridiculous QBR that season of 79.8. Uh, so almost an 80 uh, QBR for A-Rod. Uh, but my metric actually had him third uh, on the list. Uh, I would have gone with Mahomes, according to the metric. Mahomes' QBR was 78. So it wasn't like he was far off. He was just two points below Aaron Rodgers in QBR, but his offensive load was way higher, right? Mahomes was responsible for two thirds of the Chiefs offensive output, um, whereas Aaron Rodgers only shouldered 55 and a half percent of the Packers output that season. Uh, so I, I would have had Mahomes at the top. Uh, interestingly, Josh Allen actually pops up second on that list. Um, he also shouldered more of a load of the team of his team's offense than Aaron Rodgers he only he had a 65% load while having a QBR just over 6 76 and a half uh, so he would have also just been ahead of Aaron Rodgers and in, in, in my metric and then that was the year the Chiefs did make the Super Bowl but they did lose to the Bucks uh, in that one uh, but I would have voted for Mahomes personally in my recalling that season and thinking back, I do believe I had Mahomes as the guy I would have voted for over Aaron Rodgers. I think a lot of voters were enamored with his QBR, though, uh, and so they ended up voting for him with a nearly 80 QBR. And then the next season, he won it again. Um, 
So he gets uh, his second MVP. Uh, he got 78% of the vote, 39 out of the 51st place, or out of the 39 out of the 50 votes. Tom Brady ended up with 10. And Cooper Cup, right, he had the triple crown that season. He got a vote for MVP. Um, so, again, this is a discrepancy in um, or disagreement that my metric has with the voting. I actually would have had Tom Brady as the winner of the award. Again, it's the amount of offensive output um, that kind of brings Aaron Rodgers down in my metric. His QBR was 74 that season, which is really good, but Tom's was 73, so it's, it's one point difference, right? And yet Tom had the responsibility of shouldering nearly two-thirds of the Bucks' offensive output, or just their offense, I should say. Uh, Aaron Rodgers was a little bit higher than the year before, where he was at 55.5. This season, he was 57.4. Um, but, you know, the, the voters, again, went with the guy who had the slightly higher QBR. And obviously, there's some eye tests to, you know, the voting for sure. A lot of eye tests, right? You watch and, and look at certain things. But, again, I recall that season. And from the end of it, I actually would have picked Brady over Rodgers. I thought it was close. And... This metric does put him really close. Interestingly, it does actually put Justin Herbert in second place here, and I don't know that the Chargers made the playoffs that year, but the Chargers typically do Chargers things. Um, so even if they do get quarter, good quarterback play, they somehow find a way to not make the playoffs uh, in certain years or most years. So, uh, But then Josh Allen was fourth that year in the metric. Mahomes boy was fifth, and then Matthew Stafford, uh, was sixth, and that was the year the Rams beat the Bengals in the Super Bowl. So Joe Burrow was 13th in this metric, uh, was definitely above average uh, compared to the rest of the NFL that season. And then last year, uh, my metric picked Patrick Mahomes to be the, as the best quarterback in the NFL. And again, typically MVP at this point is a quarterback award, so uh, hence why I'm calibrating to it. Or was calibrating to it and it is in fact what happened they changed the voting process so you could actually kind of rank who you wanted uh still 50 people you still obviously had to place first place vote but then you got to place who you would pick as like you know second third and it's now based on points um instead of strictly just the votes but mahomes got 48 out of 50 first place votes jalen hurts got one josh allen got one uh so mahomes wanted going away um so I had uh, Mahomes as the clear winner of, of the title last season, best uh, in the league. Allen was second. Uh, actually, a Tua at third uh, in the 13 games that he played. And then Jalen, obviously, with the Eagles, they made the Super Bowl. Uh, he was fourth in the metric last season. And so in most of the years for this metric, I'm just incorporating the 32 quarterbacks, right, that start for each of these NFL teams. Uh, but in some, right, I am adding in maybe an extra quarterback uh, if there were enough games played uh, by that quarterback. So, for instance, if we go back to 2018, 2019, uh, the Ravens had uh, Joe Flacco start that season. He played nine games. Uh, but then Lamar came in after their bye week, and he played the last uh, seven games of the season. Right, so I put both of them in uh, to see what they did. 
And then again in uh, 2020, 2021, the Cowboys had two quarterbacks. Um, Dak started the year, he played five games and then unfortunately got injured. Um, and so Andy Dalton took over and played the last 11. Uh, the metric shows the drastic difference. Unfortunately, Dalton was 27th in the rankings, uh, considered below average for uh, that season. Dak in those first five games was on pace to be in the conversation for the MVP. Um, he was third in the metric, just using the five games that he played. Uh, so if he had continued on that trajectory, maybe we're having a different discussion about Dak uh, and you know who he is as a quarterback. And then last season, there were actually two teams that had two quarterbacks play significant time. Uh, the Commanders, unfortunately, had two that both were below average. In fact, Carson Wentz in his eight games was last in my metric. And then Taylor Heineke took over for the last nine games, and he was uh, just a little bit better. He was 29th in the metric. The other team, which gets us back full circle to Brock Purdy, was the Niners. Jimmy G didn't actually start the season. It was Trey Lance, right? He was started game one, and then he went down, unfortunately, in game two. So then Jimmy G comes in. Uh, he played, I guess, fine, like almost right on average. He was 19th in the metric. Uh, but then Brock Purdy had to come in for the last six games of the regular season, and he was actually 10th uh, using the metric in those six games. Um, so my question was then, okay, well, what's happening so far this year, right? Because I've watched some games for sure and seen, you know, how these quarterbacks have been playing. And my question has just been, I haven't seen Brock Purdy have to deal with some level of adversity and I mean from this standpoint, right? Because typically the Niners are playing from ahead, right? So he's got them on schedule, right? And the offense is, you know, in rhythm. And so they're usually ahead in the fourth quarter. And so they're just kind of, you know, running the ball, mixing in the pass here and there, right? And they win the game. And I've always just wanted to see what he would look like in a situation where team is down by, you know, seven, need to drive the field from, you know, my own 25, with you know, minute 40 on the clock, a couple timeouts maybe, and I need to get this ball in the end zone. And we've got to move aside from the run, can't use that because I don't have enough time, got to throw. Okay, now, you know, can we see him in that situation? That's all I've been asking, right? Because everybody's, you know, been praising him, and, and rightfully so, he's done a, a pretty solid job, right? He's very quick to process. That is absolutely evident. Right, he can process the play and know when to just move on to the next read, and he gets the ball out uh, in rhythm. Uh, but I do want to just say I, I got to give credit to Shanahan for you know his ability to scheme guys open, and then the interesting thing that came up. Uh, so last season, uh, let me look back here one season. So I mentioned that Brock Purdy was 10th in those six games that he played uh, last season. So of all of the quarterbacks that I used, which were, there were 34 of them last season. Uh, obviously I took into account QBR as I discussed, but I also took into account percentage of the team offense, right? That you uh, have on your shoulders and every quarterback in the metric last season, all the other 33 had at least 
of the responsibility on their shoulders. In fact, it's probably, yes, it's like at least 52% of the responsibility on their shoulders, right? Most of the top quarterbacks, right? Mahomes, the Allens, the Tua's, the Hurts, right? The Herberts and the Burrows, they're above 60% and sometimes upwards to like 65% of uh, the offensive responsibility. The only quarterback in the entire NFL last season to not reach 50% of the offensive responsibility was Brock Purdy. He only had 49.2% of the offensive responsibility. Now his QBR was pretty darn good, right? 67.6, but um, that was on, right? Only 40% responsibility. So I've also had the question of if he were ever in the situation of having to shoulder more of the offense, like a Mahomes, like a, an Allen, like a Hertz, like a Burrow, right? Can he maintain that same level of efficiency? Because I've seen it from those dudes, right? Like Mahomes last year, just look at last year, 63% of the offensive responsibility, 79 QBR. I've seen it. He's, he's amazing. He's the best quarterback in the NFL. Josh Allen, obviously he, he goes up and down. He has his good game. He has his bad games. He has his like Superman games. He has a stinker every once in a while, but overall 73 and a half QBR last year, shouldering 65% of, of the offensive responsibility. I've seen him be able to, you know, maintain that. All right. Jalen Hurts last year, 68 QBR shouldering 61% of the offensive responsibility. All right. I can go on, right? I just haven't seen it from Brock Purdy. That's all I've, I've been saying. That's all I want to know is can he, you know, be that efficient and have that high of a QBR when he has to shoulder more of the responsibility, more of the load. And so to this point this year, there are 32 quarterbacks that are being uh, used in the metric. And again, there's one quarterback that has less than 50% of the offensive responsibility, Brock Purdy. Now he's got a QBR that's even higher this year. All right, so so far his QBR is 75.7. And his offensive responsibility, though, is 49.4%. And that went up because it was actually a little bit lower than that. It was around 47% until he played that game against the Minnesota Vikings, where we did get to see that situation, right? Late game, down eight, need to go drive the field, can't run it, right? can't hand it to McCaffrey, right? He's, you know, not going to be able to, you don't have time, right, to, to hand it off. Uh, so I got to make these throws and he was moving, right? But then unfortunately through the interception uh, to end the game uh, and he had thrown an interception in the previous drive. Now we then find out afterwards that he had suffered a concussion. Uh, so we now have to look back at that and say, okay, you know, there's definitely has, that has to be accounted for. Um, so I, I do want to see him in that environment again, obviously not concussed. Uh, so yeah, so so at the moment, right, the Niners are telling me with how they're running their offense that they're predominantly just going to run the football, right? They are, you know, over 50% of the time, they're going to hand it to McCaffrey slash Elijah Mitchell slash Jordan Mason slash Debo Samuel slash Brandon Ayuk on some, you know, jet sweeps or reverses or something like that. And then, you know, Brock will come in and, you know, put the ball where it needs to be, Right. Uh, he's made some good throws. Don't get me wrong. I've seen some throws from him that I'm like, okay, wow, that's a good throw. 
But I've also seen a lot where it's like, okay, dude was wide open. Like, <laughs> you, hey, there's, uh, you know, four or five yards of separation. All right, you, you know, most, pretty much every quarterback in the NFL should be able to make that throw. Uh, I've seen a lot of that. So that, to me, is crediting Shanahan, right, for coming up with a good scheme. And the receivers obviously get credit for, you know, uh, getting open, finding the soft spots in the defense. I mean, Brock gets a little credit for obviously you know, making the right read and throwing it to him. I, I got to give him some credit for that. But then again, every quarterback in the NFL, I think, should be able to make those kind of throws, right, where the guy's open, right? So that's all I've been saying. That's all I want to see from Brock Purdy is just that uh, that kind of a situation or have him shoulder more of the load uh, and see what they do there. So for this year so far, I've been updating the metric. Uh, I actually released my uh, rankings after week seven on Twitter. Again, at PhD. Uh, go check that out and uh, give me a follow if you if you like. Uh, so currently, these are the, the rankings. I'm working my way from the bottom to the top. So uh, Ryan Tannehill from the Ten Tennessee Titans is 32nd. Bryce Young from the Panthers, then Kenny Pickett from the Steelers, Zach Wilson from the Jets, Deshaun Watson uh, from the Browns, and we got to figure out what's going on with Deshaun. Uh, I don't know what's going on with that shoulder. Uh, things are just weird over there right now. Desmond Ritter for the Falcons at 27, Justin Fields for the Bears at 26, uh, then Danny Dimes, Daniel Jones at 25, Sam Howell for the Commanders at 24, Mac Jones. For the uh, Patriots at 23, obviously played better last last week against the Bills. See if he can play like that the rest of the season. Russell Wilson at 22. Uh, Joe Burrow, who obviously is typically not this low. Uh, he's at 21, but he's, he's playing through a calf injury and obviously got off to a really, really bad start. Um, trying to play through that. We'll see what he looks like now after the bye week. Uh, and then Jimmy G, who's returning this week uh, from an injury uh, for the Raiders. He's at 20. Josh Dobbs, who may be starting to get his last couple starts here as Kyler Murray ramps up and gets ready to return for the Cardinals. He's at 19. Derek Carr for my Saints at 18. Hasn't hasn't played particularly well so far this year. Definitely missed some throws. Uh, hopefully they can figure things out offensively because uh, our defense is really good. Uh, really, really good. Uh, we just need the offense to come along with us. Uh, and then Jordan Love at 17. All right, so that's the bottom half of the list. We move to the top half. How about the rookie, C.J. Stroud for the Texans? Wow. He has looked pretty darn good so far uh, in, in his NFL career. He's at 16. Just ahead of him in the same division, Gardner Minshew for the Colts. Um Hasn't been terrible. Obviously, he didn't look good like two weeks ago, right? Uh, but last week against the Browns, right? Everybody was praising that Browns defense for what they did to Brock Purdy in that Niners offense the week prior in the upset win. And then Minshew hangs 38 on him and arguably should have gotten the win. Obviously, some, some controversial calls from the refs there at the end. But Minshew was dealing last week. He's, he's not bad, right? So he's 15th. Stafford at 14, Dak uh, at 13, Geno at 13, uh, Baker Mayfield is, or excuse me, Geno is at 12, Baker Mayfield at 11. Uh, so he's been fine, right? 
Tampa's maybe, maybe they're to me right about where they were expected to be. I thought they would be closer to a 500 team this year. I know some people going into the season thought they were just going to be absolutely terrible, but Baker is, is fine. He's pretty much an average NFL quarterback. Um, he's having a lot of success on third down where it's like third and eight, third and nine, and he's picking up some of these, you know, we just saw on uh, Thursday night, he picked up like a fourth and 10 late when they ended up scoring the TD to Mike Evans. So those are helping his case right now. We'll see if that regresses to the mean as the season goes on. But for now, he's he's 11th. Trevor Lawrence at 10. Lamar, who's been moving up, obviously had a really great performance against the Lions last week. He's, he's ninth on the list. Jalen Hurts at eight, uh, dealing with some kind of an injury, right? He came out with a brace after halftime against the Dolphins last week, so hopefully he's okay. Um, but he has obviously the potential to move up as he gets more familiar with his new OC. Uh, Herbert at seven. Uh, Kirk Cousins, right, coming off that game against the Vikings where we had those two weird plays, right, where he threw it to Addison but it ended up getting intercepted, uh, kind of a weird play. And then the reverse happening where he threw it behind Addison, but then this time Addison reached in and yanked that thing out from the DB and ended up running for a touchdown. Uh, but besides that, those two weird plays, Kirk was dealing. He played really well last week, so he moved up uh, a few spots, and he is now sixth. Jerry Goff, who I think was fourth, he fell a spot. He's now fifth off the you know, poor performance against the Ravens on the road last week. And then here's Brock Purdy. He's fourth. So at the moment, Pradeep is correct. He is a top five quarterback in the NFL just looking at numbers, right, and just for this season. This season only. I just want to make that clear. This is not historical ranking. This is just for this current season in the NFL. Brock Purdy, according to my metric, is fourth. Um, so we'll see if he's able to stay there. And he will be playing this week. There was some concern he'd miss it, obviously, with being in the concussion protocol. But he managed to clear it, and he's going to play. So we will see how he looks this week uh, at home against the Bengals, who are coming off a bye. They've got two good pass rushers, right? Uh, Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard. So uh, we'll see, right? I don't know if Trent Williams is playing. Uh, that was the other just quick point on Purdy, right? He's had all of these really great, talented offensive pieces, and you can do that when you're only paying your quarterback less than a million dollars a year, right, to, to play the position. So then you can go out and get a CMC, a Debo Samuel, a Brandon Ayuk. You can have you know, the best left tackle in football, Trent Williams and a really great strong defense, right, to, to be there and support. And so I also just wanted to see, well, what happens if he just happens to have a week where one or two of those guys is just not there, right? And then Debo, unfortunately, has a hairline fracture, so he's out probably uh, until after their bye week in a couple weeks. Uh, Trent Williams was out for the last game. Uh, we'll see if he's available this week. I'm not sure. Uh, McCaffrey was at least questionable, but he ended up playing in the game last week, and I think he'll be there this week. Uh, so I just had that as another question, right? So you don't want to obviously ding him too much for being around talented guys, right? But it's just something that other quarterbacks have had to deal with in the past, right? Not having their top guy or for a game and still having to kind of find a way to make it work. So just curious to see if that ever comes about. Obviously, I don't want to wish injuries on anybody, though. Um, but yeah, so Purdy is at four for now. We'll see where he ends up. Uh, Tua at three. Uh, Josh Allen 
at two, and I imagine he'll make a push towards number one here after that performance on Thursday night. I know he threw an interception there off the tip, but otherwise, you know, he had a strong performance uh, on Thursday night football. And then at number one, Patrick Mahomes. That's kind of where he lives. Uh, he's he's the best in the league right now, and he's, he's again proving that this season with his play. He and Kelsey are just on a different wavelength, right? So. Uh, we will see where this goes throughout the season. I will be updating these rankings and posting them on my Twitter account or X account. Uh, again, at CourtsidePhD. So those will drop weekly, and I'll make some comments about who moved up, who moved down. Um, but yeah, that will do it uh, for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, please drop a comment, uh, or uh, and obviously drop a like and subscribe. Let me know your thoughts on the in-season tournament, um, what you are excited about. Do you think it's going to be interesting or not? Let me know. And your thoughts on the metric, right? Uh, do you think uh, I'm on to something here or uh, is there something I'm missing? Obviously, the eye test, of course, right? But um, other than that, uh, you know, let me know your thoughts, okay? We will run it back again next time for Episode 5. Until then. All right, thanks for tuning in. Peace.